Welcome to the Gnostic Informant. I'm Jesus. The Logos Incarnate. And you are about to attain true Gnosis. Welcome back to the Gnostic and you are about to attain true Gnosis. And I was looking at the comments, and it turns out that Melody Joy, Lauren Jones, and Paul Schlager, um, I have some presents for you guys. Uh, here's a couple hundreds. And, um, and we also got this right here, and it's another another version. Same amount of value. You know, just a different... This, that's the... Uh, the Confederate money. This is the this, this is the, the North. This is the South. But um, yeah. Uh, here we are. We're gonna we're gonna. This is gonna be a broad comparative religion episode. Um, I'm getting some sound from somewhere. I'm wondering where it's coming from. It sounds a little. You hear that or no? No. What was it? No, I just it was just. I was like a, it was like a background sound. I think it went away. I think I think we're good though. Just for, hmm. it was just for like a couple seconds. I think it's good. I think it's fine though. But um. Yeah, we're gonna t we're gonna get into some comparative, real comparative religion stuff right now. So you have basically you have two branches of religion. You have the Vedic, the Vedic religion, and it branches off into Hinduism, Buddhism, uh, you know, all the Dharma, all the different types of, you know, those the Dharma type religions. They don't even call themselves Hindus. We, that's a Western label that we started. It's they're the Hindus because. You know, India, Hindu, India, like that's like a word that Westerners called the the their religion of the of the East. They never called themselves that. They just called themselves. They just it just was Dharma. This is just practicing Dharma. But um, in the West, we're a little bit more materialized. We have Abrahamic religion. We have you know the Ark of the Covenant, the Land of Israel. It's all about land. It's all about places. It's all about you know 
materialized stuff. It's like you got, and so branching out of that, you get Christianity with all these different types of Christianity, Gnosticism, you get, you get Islam comes a little bit later. And in the middle, in this, there's this weird Persian religion, which comes before this, but just, you know, just for the sake of onto a new area now, you get this Zoroastrian Mithraism Persian type religion. And the question is, where does that come from? Well, I was actually doing some looking at looking at this, and it seems to be that Zoroaster was very influenced by Vedic mythology. In fact, I'll even I'll, I'll get I'll get back to this in a second, but I want to hear your thoughts. Um, Zoroaster he wrote in the in a language called Zend, which is like it's like a it's like it's literally if you look at it. In fact, in the Zendavesta, this is the Scholar Select version. At in the back, they show you. They have a little chart. Whoever I don't know whoever put this together, but they have a little chart where they actually show you what the Zend looks like, and they put it right in between Sanskrit and Parsi, which is like an Arabic. It's like very similar to Arabic, but it's Persian version of Arabic. Not the same, but it looks the same. Like it's not the same. But anyways, long story short, the the Zend, if you put it right in the middle of the two, it looks like there's a a, a evolution between the three. It looks like it's going from Vedic to Zend to Par. Like you could t- you could see, or they just they just are similar. Like th- like it looks like a blend of the two. So I thought that's pretty fascinating. So I think there's some I think there's some linguistic stuff going on with the um, with the Zend Avesta, and then he talks about the the devas and the ty- whatever the other gods are called the the, the devas and the um, asuras asuras yeah. But in this mythology, it's flipped. The Asuras are the bad guys, and the Devas are the good. Oh, no, no, I'm sorry. Other way around. The Devas are the bad guys, where you get this devil from. And the Asuras are now the good guys. But in, in, in the Dharma religion with Krishna, Krishna is one of the Devas along with Ariman. Ariman becomes the devil. And so there's a whole lot to get into. I want to throw it over to you. People come to hear you talk. But before 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 you say anything, I'm sorry I keep holding you this long. I just want to make this. I just want to make a little tiny public service announcement about where I stand and on my channel, real quick. And just bear with me. I, I apologize. When I bring on people to the channel, my views don't reflect their views, and their views don't reflect my views. I have people on because they are trained in an area. They have PhDs in some some sort of area. You have two PhDs and three masters. You're one of the most knowledgeable people in the, the, the area of comparative mythology. And I value that. Now, I disagree with a lot of stuff you say when it comes to politics. That's fine. In fact, I was going to, I just have a quick little story to tell. When I was in prison, and this, this is actually going to lead up to the, to the topic. So this, this isn't off topic, but it will lead up to the topic. I promise. When I was in prison, I witnessed something that changed the way I looked at law enforcement. And I saw a black, a young black man who was a good kid too. I was playing cards with him all the time. We were on the same unit. Good kid. Just got into trouble like me. Right? We're all human. Well, this kid started, something must have happened. He was having a bad day. Got a bad phone call, something. Who knows? He mouthed back to the correctional officer. And this is right when the lunch trays came in lunch trays came in he got his he had his lunch tray and he said something back to the correctional officer 
the correctional officer took his lunch tray and threw it across the room in front of the camera. The camera's on the door. The camera's not on us. So the camera didn't see this. The camera only sees the door. And all the camera saw was a, a tray fly across the screen. And he said, you just threw that. And then he beat the shit out of him. And the next day, well, they took the kid away. He got his ass beat. And uh, he, the next day, that kid, we never saw him again. I don't know what happened to him. That cop, he came back to his unit the next day and was back on his job. Nothing ever happened to him. He was fine. Now, with that being said, I can see why people get angry with law enforcement. But on the other hand, I don't understand. I, I also understand why people get upset when there is a, a lot of people who are like, we should defund the police and all police are bad because that's not true. There's not all there's really I would say majority of the police are good people. Now, I just wanted to tell that story because it gave me some sort of, it gave me something to some something to uh, think about when I see certain things happening in the world. And the reason why the reason why it ties into what we're talking about is because before that in my teenage years, I was, I was crazy. I was running wild with the wrong people doing all types of stuff, getting in trouble. I was basically like a thug, like an idiot. Like I was that I could have been the next person to get in, get arrested, get beat up or killed by like, I'm lucky to be here basically. But, and this is why I'm bringing this up. So during that time period, I actually, um, actually, uh, tried dmt do you know what dmt is hmm. uh it's a it's like so dmt is like a hallucinogenic um uh substance but it's it's like the most intense thing it i, I don't know i can't even explain it but people if anyone ever ever heard of it or tried it, joe rogan talks about it i tried this stuff and i'm not kidding i was in another dimension blast off into space the sun was flying around the sky there was spaceships and all this but that this this what happened was just beyond comprehension i saw what looked like shiva or brahma i saw this god fly up to me with multiple hands and his head was spinning in different directions and he had multiple heads and he looked like smoke and uh he would he had like space or he had like um symbols flying around and orbiting on like planets and this thing flew up to me and I'm, I'm i'm not kidding ever since that day i was convinced that god existed that was the day that changed everything and so then when i ended up in when i wound up in prison after that way years after this which was when i was 21 i'm, I'm 32 now so this is 11 years ago i ended up i turned 21 in prison anyways when I, when I was in there, that's when I picked up the Bible and read it cover to cover and became a fundamentalist. But the reason why is not because of my upbringing. I grew up in a family that was Catholic. I went to school or went to uh, church twice a year. It was because of that moment in my life when I had that hallucinogenic experience. It changed the way I looked at reality. I was like, after that happened, I said, there's no way there isn't a God. That was real. What I saw was real. Now, I've changed my mind since then. But... I've still, I, I, when I, when I hear people talk about they had a hallucinogenic experience and it made them believe in God, I understand because I've been there and I just wanted to bring that up because one, I wanted to, I wanted to lay out like, you know, when I, when I have people on, it's not about my beliefs or their beliefs. It's about, we're talking about a certain subject and this person knows what they're talking about, which is you. 
and on two, I wanted to lead it into how I, why I'm so into mythology and ancient psychedelics and all that stuff. That's what happened. And uh, so sorry about that whole entire intro, but mm-hmm. I want to throw it over to you. I want to hear what you think about the Vedic world compared to the West. And you could just, even if it's the Stoics, it doesn't have to be about the Bible. It could be about anything. Just your and your own, what do you think about the comparison between the two worlds? Well, this really reminds me of, uh, I guess, probably my favorite hymn from the Rig Veda. And uh, it is a hymn to Soma. And uh, Soma was uh, one of the, the major gods of uh, Vedic Hinduism. He was the moon, and he was also the uh, hallucinogenic mushroom that was uh, that lent its name to the sacred sacramental drink soma. Uh, you might have uh, heard of this, read about it in uh, in Aldous Huxley's. They kind of calmed everybody down with called soma, but it's based on this. And um, Gordon Wasson was a author of all these things, and he wrote a book called. Uh, um, Soma, the the uh, sacred mushroom of immortality, something like that. And uh, he was a mycologist. Uh, he studied all manner of mushrooms. And he suggested that given the way Soma scribed in the ancient Hindus, it sounds like has to be Amanita muscaria, the fly agaric, the red-capped mushroom with the white dots. Now, other people's challenge that. I'm in no no position to know, but this was also what led John Allegro, a maverick scholar who I was lucky to meet once, suggest that, well, you know, uh, that shows us there was a mushroom cult uh, because the uh, the Vedic Hindus, their the priests, uh, the Brahmins, were sacrifice uh, and the whole religion was about sacrifice, and they would mix together in like a druggist with mortar and pestle. They would smash the the soma, whatever it was, the mushroom. Yeah, there we go. Uh, and uh, then it would uh, liquefy, drink a vision of gods, and then so that the congregation could participate, to agree, the priest would urinate it out. And uh, the, the drink the spiked urine, uh, and uh, and and uh, so to have some sort of a similar experience. Well, here was a religion of lo- very long standing, where the uh, the operative god uh, was the uh, personified mushroom, and Allegro wondered. Could that possibly be how Christianity started? And what led him to that was uh, studying the origins and meanings of various words in the Hebrew language. And uh, uh, one one good example would be when Jesus names James and John Boanerges, or Boanerges, you sometimes hear it said. He said that um, if the uh, suffix and put it on the other end of the word as a prefix, it would be in in uh, puanor, up 
Hey, Dr. Price, you're breaking up a little bit. Do you think you can refresh your page by any chance? It's starting to freeze out pretty bad. I think he's gone. <laughs> try to refresh. If you can hear me, I don't know if you can. I hope you can. If you can hear me, try to refresh your page and um, come back because you were breaking up real bad. At first, I just kind of let maybe I was hoping that it would just even out and fix itself, but it just kept getting worse. Um, I don't know if you can hear me or not. Hopefully, you could. But I'll, my, you know, I might as well uh, go to the super chats while I'm waiting. Um, let me see. Does Dr. Bob think the gin are found in other places? It's a question for Dr. Bob, so I'll hold on to that. But thank you for the super chat, and I will definitely get back to it. I'm not going to forget this one. Let's go to the next one. Constellation Pegasus, thank you so much. This is the you have broken the record by far for a super chat with the ninety nine ninety nine. This is just I, I don't know what to say. Like, what do you want? You could do a dance and want me to run around the room for you. I, whatever you want. This, thank you so much for this. I appreciate you so much. The question is, you have to have more episodes on flat Earth and dome cosmology. You got it. <laughs> you got it. I'm gonna. I'm gonna look out now. I'm gonna go out of my way to do this because because of this, man. I appreciate. Isn't this all you need to destroy Judaism and Christianity? I want to thank the rabbis running their mouths, giving their opinions about it. That's a good question. That's a really good question. Doctor Bob is now back. We're gonna. I'm gonna circle back to this, and um, I just wanted to see. Thank you, though. Thank you so much. There he is. Yeah, I don't know what happened. I had to get out and in again. Uh, yeah. So here's the hymn to Soma that when they would uh, get ready to drink the potion. And uh, to me, this is really classic devotional literature. There's going to be some geographical references and so on. I won't bother taking the time to explain. It doesn't really matter much. Uh, okay. Um, let Indra, the killer of Vritra, drink Soma in... Uh, how do you say, the Saryanavat, gathering his strength within himself to do a great heroic deed. Oh, drop of Soma, flow for Indra. Indra is the warrior god who killed the dragon. I'm going to read another hymn about that. Yeah. Uh, purify yourself, generous Soma, from Arjika, master of the quarters of the sky, pressed with sacred words, with truth and faith and ardor. Oh, drop of Soma, flow for Indra. The daughter of the sun has brought the buffalo raised by Parjanya. Uh, the divine youths have received him and placed the juice in Soma. Oh, drop of Soma, flow for Indra. You speak of the sacred as your brightness is sacred. You speak the truth as your deeds are true. You speak of faith, King Soma, as you are carefully prepared by the sacrificial priest. O drop of Soma, flow for Indra. The floods of the High One, the truly awesome one, flow together. The juices of him so full of juice mingle together as you, the tawny one, purify yourself with prayer. O drop of Soma, flow for Indra. Where the high priest speaks rhythmic words, O purifier, holding the pressing stone, 
feeling that he has become great with the soma, giving birth to joy through the soma. Oh, drop of soma, flow for Indra. Where the inextinguishable light shines, the world where the sun was placed, in that immortal, unfading world, O oh, purifier, place me. O oh, drop of soma, flow for Indra. Where Vivasvan's son is king, where heaven is enclosed, where those young waters are, there make me immortal. O oh, drop of soma, flow for Indra. Where they move as they will in the triple dome and the third heaven of heavens, where the worlds are made of light, there make me immortal. O oh, drop of soma, flow for Indra. Where there are desires and longings at the sun's zenith, where the dead are fed and satisfied, there make me immortal, O oh, drop of Indra, a oh, drop of Soma, flow for Indra. Where there are joys and pleasures, gladness and delight, where the desires of desire are fulfilled, there make me immortal, O oh, drop of Soma, flow for Indra. Now you may think I'm a nut, but I get a chill up and down my spine whenever I read this. Uh, it's it shows you just what um, Neil is saying about the, the shattering uh, impact of the vision. And I've not even had such a vision, right? I'm reading this third or fourth or fifth hand. Uh, you can find something similar in the, uh, the Bhagavad Gita, where um, Arjuna, a mortal, is having a dialogue with a, a man who was turned out to be the god Krishna, and he dares ask him to show him his divine form. And Krishna says to him, you can't see me with your eye of flesh. Behold, I give you a supernatural eye. And, and so he he's blown away. He begins to describe the indescribable divine form. I, I don't have the text in front of me. I won't venture to reproduce that. But if people were having experiences, this wasn't just mythology in a literal sense. It wasn't just storytelling. Now, are those visions veridical, as they say? Uh, is Are they really going into this world? I don't know. It's an experience. I don't think it can go beyond that. But I don't think experiences of this nature are bad. They're uplifting. They're transcendental. Uh, the, it seems to me it's altogether wholesome. Doesn't it remind you? Want you to say anything about that, uh, Neil? Because I want to read two creation hymns yeah. too. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was just going to say something real quick. Moses, when he's with God, when he's with Yahweh on the on the mountain, it's a very similar dialogue between Arjun and Krishna, where hmm. Moses is like, "Can I see you?" And God's like, "If you see me, you're going to die." And he's like, I'll find, I'll show you my hand. I'll put my hand around you or something like that. It does some weird, it's very strange, weird passage. But like, it's like the cosmic version of Krishna. Krishna actually shows him his face and he has multiple heads and the sun and the moon are revolving. And there's a big black hole in his, in his eyes. And like, it's just like, he sees the whole universe. Krishna is the universe. But, um, and then the last thing I want to touch on before you get on to the next one is this is also prevalent in the, Illusion mysteries, whereas they take this 
Kaki. Here, I'll show you guys. The this is this is Kyle Rucks. This is the current book that I'm reading right now. Kyle mm. Ruck. I'm actually going to interview him next mm. week. So that's why I want to read his book, and it's so mm. good. And he he talks about how the people in the who are the initiates at Eleusis, they would get initiated, and they would take this sacred drink. It was like a wine mixed with Anidamina muscaria. This is what he says. And they would drink it. And he says that those people, well, were not like he, he was saying the people who are initiates in the mysteries were not afraid to die. Hmm. Whereas people who weren't would dread Hades. This is what he, this is what he says. He said people who didn't have the mysteries dreaded Hades. People who did were saved. Like that is like whatever the hell that experience was. It made them think, oh, there is something out there. I'm fine. Everything's going to be good. That, to me, is a very powerful tool, but it's also we also have to be careful how we define it. Is it real? Is it not? Is it really magical? Is it really divine? We got to be careful with that. We got to be honest about what it is. But it is, like you said, it is an uplifting thing for some people. It gives them mm. a different state, a different, a different point of view. You know what I'm saying. But yeah, yeah. continue. Uh, these uh, near-death experiences have the same effect. People on the operating table may seem to be dead from all the usual markers, but if they see the uh, being of light, et cetera, et cetera, and when they're brought back, they're no longer afraid to die. It's the same ex sort of thing. Right. Uh, well, let's see. Uh, this one, here's my point is to do comparisons between uh, some of the important uh, things in the uh, in the Bible, and and this these very ancient hymns. This one uh, is a hymn to Indra and talks about how he killed the dragon Vritra. And you will immediately see that this is very much like these Canaanite, Babylonian, etc. myths of of the young warrior god killing the dragon and creating the world. So here we go. Let me now sing the heroic deeds of Indra, the first that the thunderbolt wielder performed. He killed the dragon and pierced an opening for the waters. He split open the bellies of mountains. He killed the dragon who lay upon the mountain. Tavastar fashioned the roaring thunderbolt for him. Like lowing cows, the flowing waters rushed straight down to the sea. Wildly excited like a bull, he took the soma for himself and drank the extract from the three bowls in the three-day soma ceremony. Indra the generous seized his thunderbolt to hurl it as a weapon. He killed the firstborn of dragons. Indra, when you killed the firstborn of dragons and overcame by your own magic, the magic of the magicians, at that very moment you brought forth the sun, the sky, and dawn. Since then you have found no enemy to conquer you. With his great weapon, the thunderbolt, Indra killed the shoulderless Vritra, his greatest enemy. Like the trunk of a tree whose branches have been lopped off by an axe, the dragon lies flat upon the ground. Think of the serpent in Eden who now has to crawl on the ground, implying he hadn't before, implying he had limbs that were chopped off. Anyway, 
For muddled by drunkenness, drunkenness, like one who is no soldier, Vritra, the dragon, challenged the great hero who had overcome the mighty and who drank so much of the dregs. Unable to withstand the onslaught of his weapons, he found Vritra found Indra an enemy to conquer him and was shattered, his nose crushed. Without feet or hands, he fought against Indra, who struck him on the nape of the neck with his thunderbolt. The steer who wished to become the equal of the bull bursting with seed, Vritra lay broken in many places. Over him as he lay there like a broken reed, the swelling waters flowed for man, or Manu, the first mortal man. Those waters that Vritra had enclosed with his power, the dragon now lay at their feet. The vital energy of Vritra's mother ebbed away, for Indra had hurled his deadly weapon at her. Above was the mother, below was the son. Danu lay down like a cow with her calf, that's the, the dragon's mother. In the midst of the channels of the waters, which never stood still or rested, the body was hidden. The waters flow over Vritra's secret place. He who found Indra, an enemy to conquer him, sank into long darkness. The waters, who had the Daza for their husband, the, the, uh, the enemy, uh, the dragon, uh, the dragon for their protector were imprisoned like the cows imprisoned by the pan the panis, uh, forget who they are. Uh, when he killed Vritra, he split open the outlet of the waters that had been closed. Indra, you became a hare of a horse's tail when Vritra struck you on the corner of the mouth. You, the one god, the brave one, you won the cows, that is great riches in that culture, right? You won the Soma. You released the seven streams so that they could flow. No use was the lightning and thunder, fog and hail that he had scattered about when the dragon and Indra fought. Indra the generous remained victorious for all time to come. What avenger of the dragon did you see, Indra, that fear entered your heart when you had killed him? None. Then you crossed the 99 streams like the frightened eagle crossing the realms of earth and air. Indra, who wields the thunderbolt in his hand, is the king of that which moves and that which rests, of the tame and of the horned. He rules the people as their king, encircling all this as a rim encircles spokes. There's the thunderer, who destroys the monster who uh, and uh, cleft it open, just like uh, Leviathan and uh, Tiamat and so forth and and so forth. Well, that's and and of course he replaced Varuna as the king of the gods once he did yeah. that. Just like and Yahweh becomes co-regent with. Uh, yeah, uh, and also you got you got the Kronos being taken over by Zeus. So yeah, like, yeah. you know, it's like it's like a succession myth that you see with across the board. Yep. And finally, uh, and this one has a lot to do with the New Testament. It's about the the primordial man, Purusha. Uh, the man, or in Sanskrit, Purusha, has a thousand heads, a thousand eyes, a thousand feet. 
He pervaded the earth on all sides and extended beyond it as far as ten fingers. It is the man who is all this, Purusha, whatever has been and whatever is to be. He is the ruler of immortality when he grows beyond everything through food, that is, he's revitalized by sacrifices. Um, such is his greatness, and the man is yet more than this. All creatures are a quarter of him. Three quarters are what is immortal in heaven. With three quarters, the man rose upward, and one quarter of him still remains here. From this, he spread out in all directions into that which eats and that which does not eat. Uh, from him, Viraj was born, that is the female element, and from Viraj came the man. When he was born, he ranged beyond the earth behind and before. When the gods spread the sacrifice with the man as the offering, spring was the clarified butter, summer the fuel, autumn the oblation. They anointed the man, the sacrifice born at the beginning upon the sacred grass. With him, the gods, sadyas, and sages sacrificed. From that sacrifice in which everything was offered, the melted fat was collected. This is what they actually did in sacrifices. Um, and he made it into those beasts who live in the air, in the forest, and in villages. From that sacrifice in which everything was offered, the verses and chants were born. The meters were born from it, and from it the formulas were born. That is the liturgy you're reading right now. Horses were born from it, and those other animals that have two rows of teeth, like dogs and cats and stuff. Cows were born from it, and from it goats and sheep were born. When they divided the man, into how many parts did they apportion him? What do they call his mouth, his two arms and thighs and feet? His mouth became the Brahmin. His arms were made into the Kshatriya, the warrior caste. His thighs, the people, uh, those Vashayas, the merchants and craftsmen and so on. Right. And from his feet, uh, the servants were born, the Shudras. The moon was born from his mind. From his eye, the sun was born. Indra and Agni came from his mouth, and from his vital breath, the wind was born. From his navel, the middle realm of space arose. From his head, the sky evolved. From his two feet came the earth, and the quarters of the sky from his ear. Thus they set the worlds in order. There were seven enclosing sticks for him, like the altar on the grass, and thrice seven fuel sticks when the gods, spreading the sacrifice, bound the man as the sacrificial beast. With the sacrifice, the gods sacrificed to the sacrifice. These were the first ritual laws. These very powers reached the dome of the sky where dwell the sadhyas, the ancient gods. Uh, now, what the heck could this have to do with the New Testament? Well, much in every way, uh, because uh, this is the, um, I think, many scholars have thought this, this is the ultimate origin of the primal man or the son of man. Uh, and uh, it, it, the next stage in its evolution is in Zoroastrianism, 
where he becomes Guyomard, the first fleshly human made, and as in Plato's uh, Timaeus or uh, Symposium, I forget which, uh, it says that Zeus created the first humans as uh, like egg-shaped beings with double limbs and then split them in half, which is just like Adam being split into Ish and Isha right. and, yeah. and so forth. And uh, uh, so, um, so and, and uh, Ahriman in Zoroastrianism decided to kill Gaiomard, and he did, but by splitting him in half, creating males and females, and therefore the whole human race. You know, not what he intended. Wow. Uh, and so the primal man becomes all men. And uh, Gnosticism also speaks of a primordial man of light, uh, who, whose uh, photons, as I would call them, uh, vivified the, the fleshly creations of the demiurge, and so on and so on. And, and so it seems to me that, yeah, yeah, unpopular among uh, uh, hesitant uh, theologians today, but I think it can trace the son of man, primal man Christology, all the way back to this stuff. And to me, that is a staggering vista. And and just to add to what you just said, which is very brilliant, by the way, but Manu in the Zendavesta, because the Zendavesta, you could see it's like borrowing stuff from the Vedic stuff. Mm. Or Zoroaster's telling the story about Manu, and he says that Manu was the one that survives the flood. So Manu's the flood guy in this story, which I thought was really weird. But it also it sort of reminds me of how in Greek mythology, Deucalion is sort of seen as the primordial man in the sense that he starts over mankind with his when he mm-hmm. survives it. So I see, you could see that across the board where there's this 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 one guy who survives the flood and that like whatever. And he's always he's always told by one of the gods or or God, if it's monotheism, to how to do it. It's always like so mm-hmm. it's like Prometheus or Aramon, like you said. But like like, yeah, it's fascinating. But let, let's jump into some Super Chats. What do you think? Mm-hmm. All right. Let's uh, $4.99 for the Super Chat. Thank you very much. Does Dr. Bob think that the jinn are found in other places? The jinn from the from the Quran. Uh, yeah. In fact, the Maruts, who are mentioned as some sort of weather spirits in the Rig Veda, also appear in the Quran. Uh, and... Uh, it's uh, I, for some years as I read the Quran, I thought, are these the same guys? And then I did read some study of it, that suggested, yeah, the, these were borrowed cross culturally. So apparently, yes. Uh, and the jinn are just supposed to be desert spirits anyway, which is what they are in the Bible, right? Jesus goes out into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. The, the de- he casts in a parable, somebody casts out a demon. He goes into the desert and finds several of his pals and they come back. And, and uh, Azazel, the the uh, the god in the wilderness to whom one sends the, the scapegoat. Yeah, I mean, you can see it's, it's hardly even a pattern. I mean, you can see the lore right in front of you. And another thing is in Scandinavian, or not Scandinavian, in Slavic mythology, they have jinn. Like, they're jinn. They're, they're literally the same thing. Jinn. They're called jinn. Gen- I don't know if they call them genies, but but yeah, they um they have that there, too. So I don't know how it gets to from... it must There must have been a Persian thing, because the Persians... Indo-Iranian, Indo-European. It must have went in both directions. 
down yeah I'm, I'm sure it did i mean there was commerce from way back yeah you know have you ever wondered uh what is going on at the beginning of second kings when this injured king sends um a servant to inquire of the oracle of Baal Zebub, uh, whether he's going to come out of this alive or not. And, and uh, wait a second, Baal Zebub, which, you know, we know more familiarly as Beelzebub, but it's just the same thing. It means Lord of the Flies. Uh, hmm? Does that mean Lord of the Flies? Baal? Yes. And why? What is the point of that? Well, yeah. because the jinn supposedly revealed their secrets to those inspired, the Kahins or the the fortune-telling priests, it revealed it to them by uh, buzzing like insects, and the, the seer would hear this in his ear and say, oh, okay, I, I found out what you want. Wow. You'll find the keys to your camel over there, something like that. And uh, that's that's why he went there, because people would listen for the buzzing of the oracle god, uh, Baal-zebub. Uh, and and because the desert, uh, you would go to the the spirit of the desert. It all fits so well. And I I think another aspect might be when people die and they decay. There's always flies around it. Maybe he's a, some the Lord of Death. Maybe I don't know. I think I heard Could that. Be. That might have been from the book Lord of the Flies. Maybe I don't know. Anyways, also but... the devil and Daniel Webster. Yeah, they yeah. become moths in old scratches uh, collection. Constellation Pegasus. I already thanked you a lot, and I'm thanking you again because you broke the record on the show of of whom hmm. that is the biggest super chat I've ever gotten. And I appreciate you. He says that we should do a more episodes on the flat Earth and dome cosmology. Hmm. I think that's a great idea. I think mm -hmm. There's a lot to talk about in that because it's pretty clear four corners of the Earth. You got the how the sun goes underneath. This is Quran now. The sun goes underneath the Earth when it's when it's gone, and the moon follows it. You have a lot of the firmament in, in the Genesis. Talk about the firmament. Water is in the sky with doors mm -hmm. that open up when it rains. We should get in. We, that that could be a whole episode right there. I, oh, I really, yeah. Yeah. Really, I really, that is fascinating. Yeah. But so thank you for that super chat. Um, the next one. Next one I think was a pretty good question, too. I found out. Oh, yeah. He was the equivalent of Indra. And that's, I think this Thunderbolt gives it away. He's the same as Zeus and right. Thor and Marduk, all of whom use the thunderbolt and Yahweh, right? His his arrows are the like. Why does he put his 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 rainbow in the sky? He says, "Okay, I'm not gonna come after you again. Uh, I'm declaring peace. I have been shooting you with my rainbow, with my lightning arrows, but I'm not gonna do that anymore. And just so you know it, uh, whenever it starts to rain." You'll, or actually stops raining, but they didn't know the difference. Uh, you're going to see it in the sky, and that will remind me, hey, you better turn off the faucet. You promised yeah. you'd never flood them out again. So, yeah, the lightning bolts and all that, it's all the same thing. Yeah, it makes you wonder if the Proto-Indo-Europeans or some sort of ancient world religion was going on. Um, while, we're on the while we're on that topic, before we get to the next one real quick, I just want to mention a few things. Both Krishna and Achilles are heroes who get killed by an arrow in their leg. And that could be a stretch, but it's interesting that they're both like heroic gods and they both die in some weird, an arrow to the leg. Like what the heck? Anyways, the next one, we were, the next one I had on my list is Yama, who is also a time God and he's a Lord of the underworld. 
I mean, that sounds like Hades or 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 Pseudo, or Pluto, right? I mean, you yeah, said- Yama in some versions of, of the myth was the first man created. So when he and he's the first to die, so he becomes Lord of the realm of the dead. Okay. And this hounds after you and it's your time it's, it's yeah, great yeah. frightening yeah. stuff yes yes that's what okay i'm glad you that's why i love having you here so because i say real amateurish stuff and then you fix it <laughs> oh. cerebrus and shavara uh that is the hounds of hell so yama's dog and then in greek in greek mythology it's cerebus so you have literally that i just mentioned those two those two gods they both have hounds. So like, yeah, come on. That's mimesis. That's, yeah. I should show that to Dr. McDonald. Yeah. Uh, what's the, the other one is, this is a big one. And then I'll get to the next super chat. This, I promise. Cause there's a lot of these, but this is, this was, a, this is so important. Sita is a goddess, a young, beautiful goddess who is abducted uh, against her will by Ravana, just like per- Persephone gets abducted against her will by mm-hmm. Hades. So, mm-hmm. and then they have to go and rescue her, which is a big mm-hmm. deal. That to me is another, mime- there's a lot of mimesis in these, in these, um, pagan religions. Like, and, and then you have the 12, the 12, uh, Olympians, the 12 Asuras, um, seven sages, seven rishis. And by the way, that sounds like a stretch. Oh, the seven sages and the seven rishis, who cares? But the Greek and the, when the Greeks chose their seven sages, there's some versions that have Aesop. And was one of the seven sages. Some of them have Socrates. Some of them have mm-hmm. someone else. It's mm-hmm. always seven, but it's never, they never add one. It's never eight. It's always seven. So there's for some reason to have a, there, it's a, some sort of archetype for seven sages. That's what that led me to believe. But that's my own, that, that's my, I didn't get that from anybody. That's my own personal. Um, yeah. I think the seven business, which of course is all over the Bible probably comes from the seven planets in ancient reckoning. Yeah, that's probably what it is. The seven-day week, uh, each one named for a, a different god. We still have that, largely. Uh, uh, and because uh, it's evolved, it's not even the same pantheon all of them belong to. But nonetheless, that's uh, what 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 was going on there. And the um, the 12, uh, the, the Zodiac and so forth. And it's interesting with the seven sages, like you say, the names are inconsistent. Uh, some are added, but uh, if that happens, others are, are kicked out to right. make room. That's kind of like the 12 in, in the Gospels and Acts. Uh, the, who's the heck is Lebias, uh, the apostle? Right, and uh, so on and so on. And then, and then in the Acts, when they're, 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 when Judas is gone, we need another twelve. They, they made, it was a big deal. They have to have twelve. Mm-hmm. So instead of, instead of adding Matthias and who was the other guy, Justin, uh, like, G- Justice, I think Jesus Justice. Justice. Yeah. So instead of just hey, both of you can come in. No, they have to pick one. It has to be twelve. So that tells you right there that something's going on with those numbers. And it has to do mm. with cosmology. It has to do with the planets, the constellations. But um, yeah, so let's get to the next one. Constellation Pegasus, you are awesome. Thank you for the super chat. What book is this? Dragons, Waters in the Sky. Sounds awfully familiar. He's talking about what you were reading. And it and the, I think he's I think he's alluding to the um in the Enuma Elish, where you have the, yeah. the waters in the sky and they separate and there's the dragons and mm-hmm. Leviathan and all that stuff. Yeah, it's good point. Good super chat. 
Uh, and that stuff survives on into Gnosticism and Manichaeanism as uh, Geo Wiedengren, a great Swedish myth and, and Bible scholar, says that if you look at all the sources carefully, it, it certainly appears that Marduk, in the process of defeating Tiamat, was initially killed and swallowed by the dragon, but uh, he was brought back, and uh, this morphed eventually into the primal man killed by the Archons uh, and escaping, though without uh, all of the divine light, and that's why redemption was necessary. He returned. Uh, it's sort of like he, he was Morpheus at first and then Neo later. And uh, and he returns to to regather all the sparks to the divine, and of course that's just like uh, Basilides the Gnostic, and like Isaac Luria in the 17th century. Uh, it's uh, just an amazing vista. Yeah, this next question, Natalia, 1999. Thank you for that. I really appreciate that. This is a really good question, and I'm glad you steered the conversation in this direction. This is where I wanted to go. How does Zoroaster influence Christianity? Well, I have an answer. First, I want to hear your thing first. <laughs> I am persuaded by the argument that uh, not only were Jewish thinkers, the priests and so forth, who were in Babylon uh, having a good time. By the way, they were not oppressed there. Most of them, most of their descendants didn't even want to go back when they were allowed to. There, there's a huge Jewish community and the rabbinic schools in Babylon forever after. Well, um, and then Persia, there's the Esther story, but that's probably totally fictional anyway. Uh, and uh, they, the usual story is that they were influenced by Zoroastrianism, which Cyrus the emperor would have embraced and kind of thought, hey, some of these concepts are pretty good. I bet God had simply revealed them to them and used them the channel to tell us. But this idea that there is an evil power counter to God and that he is responsible for evil, that would mean we don't have to blame God for that. Right. Uh, that's not bad. Uh, and the, the notion that we're not just looking forward to an independent Israel anymore, but there will be a virgin-born Savior who will come to earth rising out of the water, just like in a couple of, like, Fourth Ezra and Daniel, uh, and that he will raise the dead for the final judgment and so on. Wow. Uh, the idea that you can plot out history into different dispensations, which you have all over Jewish apocalyptic, that comes from Zoroastrianism. Yep. Uh, the idea of a complex angelology, and particularly of guardian angels for individuals, that comes right out of it, too. Absolutely. And so uh, I think you can go farther yeah. than mere influence. I think those, I can't think of the names of guys that say this, but some scholars have said they think when when the Bible says that the Persian government sent one of its officers, Ezra, who was a Jew, but was high in the Persian government. I mean, you know, we got Daniel and other stories about that happening, um, Joseph and so forth. Uh, he came to, with the, the law of God in his hand, it says in the Bible. And uh, he 
uh, he uh, reorganized and reconsolidated Judaism. And a lot of the people whose ancestors never left Palestine said, what is this? And, and later on, we have the Sadducees saying, where did you get this resurrection stuff? Uh, uh, this otherworldly salvation thing, the devil, you're not really Jews anymore. You're Parsis, Persian Zoroastrianism, and eventually that becomes Pharisees. I, I'm just sure that is so. And, uh, and that's why there was this huge rift and uh, of the different Jewish groups who survived the, the Roman destruction? It was the Pharisees. And so all of these doctrines passed on into Judaism and into Gnosticism and Christianity and from there in Islam. I always say that Zoroastrianism is the pivotal religion. If we didn't have it, there would be no Judaism, Christianity, or Islam. Uh, and it was itself, as you said, a kind of a mutation from Vedic Hinduism. So they're all connected, all of them. Uh, it's one big happy or unhappy family. Yeah. By the way, the the idea of atonement, of like doing certain sac doing certain rituals for atonement, you get it's very prevalent in the Sanvesta. But forget mm -hmm. all that. I got the I got the I'm going for the juggler. You ready for the big mimesis right here that I found? I had this on my on my Facebook page and Zoroaster is walking through the desert and it says from the region of the north rush forth angry Manu Zoroaster chanted out loud Ahuna Vrarida the will of the Lord is the law of holiness riches of the Vara and he okay so let me just skip a couple of paragraphs because I don't want to read too much but then he says the guiltful one maker of the world angry Manu uh, he says, Thou art the son of Parasupa, just born of thy mother. Renounce the good law of the worshippers of Mazda, and thou shalt gain such a boon as the murderer, the whole ruler of all nations. Mm. Says, Renounce the law of Angramanu. I'll give you the whole world. Mm. What does that sound like? In fact, this happens right after Zoroaster comes up from the Holy River, having performed a ritual of purification, yeah, and yeah, the archangel Bohumana appears to him and sit with a cup and says, I want you to drink this. It'll give you the, the knowledge you need to go forth with the story Absolutely. of the unitary rule of Ahura Mazda. And he says, all right. And immediately Angramanyu or Ahriman, same guy, appears with this and says, you don't want to do this. Uh, don't waste your time. I got a throne for you. And he's like, uh, uh, no way. Right. But listen, the same thing with the Buddha, with Abraham, it's, it it's even better. Uh, what Debelius called the law of biographical analogy. They may have borrowed it from one another, or it may just be the kind of thing you yeah. say I'm, to glorify the founder. Who knows? Doesn't check, really matter. But check this out, right? When you said that, I was going to, I was going to mention that. Because that's when he says, after he does the cup thing, he says right after that in his own words, this is the atonement. This is the penalty that he shall pay to atone for the deed. If he shall pay it, he shall enter the world of the holy ones. If he shall not pay it, he shall fall down in the world of the wicked into the dark world made of darkness, heaven and hell. So so now check this out. Angramanu is literally called the devil. The devil is not in any religion 
before this. There's mm-hmm. devas in Hinduism, but there is no the devil. Go scour the whole Old Testament. There is no such thing as the devil. Right. It doesn't show up until they go to Persia. They get captured by the Babylonians. It doesn't come until the second temple period when they get influenced by this, who's this mm-hmm. devil character. And so what happens is, as I mentioned, Zoroaster is walking through the desert. He gets rushed by the devil. The devil tells him to, to say to uh, forsake God. He says no. And then what happens? Anger Manu can't stand it. He's like, no, don't leave me alone. He can't stand it because of how holy Zoroaster is. His holiness is like gives him pain. He can't stand him. So he has to run away. That to me is like, it's just so good. It just really is. Resist the devil and he will flee from you, First Peter said. It's so good. It really, it's so yeah. perfect. And I think, and that's why I really like the Super Chat. I was glad you brought that up. Because mm. I, was, I was planning on going there at some point. The next one, Myth Vision. I love you guys. Mm. I love you too, Derek. Great. Gr- just absolute great guy. Like uh, This mm. channel, out of the 70 people watching right now, I would say 60 of them are from Derek. You know what I mean? Mm. Probably 10 of them just found me somehow. But like, I would say most of them come, came from watching Myth Vision. Hmm. So I actually, I should, I, should do a poll. I should do a poll on my community tab. It's like, how many of you came here from Myth Vision? How many of you came here from somewhere else? Just to get an idea. Doc Pleroma Not could Ganymede eating Pansy to deliver the hero to immortal status be compared to the Vedic Soma and an archetype of collective unconscious? Well, it makes sense to me. I mean, anytime you have people eating uh, a plant and uh, gaining divinity or whatever, you really have to suspect that uh, it did have something to do with uh, sacramental hallucinogens. By the way, in case it matters to anybody, I might add I have never partaken of such substances. Uh, I'm not necessarily against it, but I, I have no experience in it. It's all just from books for me. I don't, I'm too scared really to do anything that might screw up my brain, which seems to be working well enough now. But I don't condemn you if you are a psychonaut. Well, yeah, and that's and that's like I got brought up in the beginning of the show. People come on mm-hmm. here and they and they don't they don't. You're not co-signing me as a host. I've done some things. I'm, you don't have to like just like when I have someone on. It's not like you know. And that's that's the way it should be. It just mm-hmm. seems like common sense. And by the way, yeah. what the hell do we get from from ostracizing people from society what does that do does that that's does that solve anything i mean mm. anyways i don't want to get too much into that but um but yeah about this the the vedic soma thing um i i just think that i th- i really have after my own experience and this is maybe i'm biased thinking here i actually am like i can't say i'm not gonna say convinced but like if i i really really would bet on the fact that a lot of these religions most of the religions in the world are have some sort of background in their early days with some sort of hallucinogenic substance. So we know that from the Greeks. That's not a secret. They write about it. That's the, the Kaikion. We know that with the Vedic religions, they got the Soma. The question is, what about the ones in between? I actually think that there might be a possibility that maybe that when you talk about, like, for example, the, the, um, the Sadducees, they go in the temple. They um they they send off the incense, the smoke. 
I wouldn't be surprised. And then they had the, the secret bread, the mana. What's the mana? So I wouldn't be surprised if somewhere down the line they had something like that going on. Because think about it. You're going in to talk to God. You're the one, you're the one that's chosen. You're the of the of the Levite tribe. And your job is to go in the temple and get messages from God on, on certain matters. It's like an oracle. It's like the Oracle of Delphi, mm-hmm. Jewish. But it wouldn't be surprising to me that they had to have some sort of uh, intermediate substance to give them that like I can feel it. I can hear it. Like, you know what I mean? Because yeah, just like, yeah. I think, I mean, what does it mean when the psalmist says, thus have I beheld thee in thy glory? What's he talking about there? Uh, And uh, uh, as Margaret Barker points out, I always refer to her. I mean, she's like a living Oracle in my opinion. Uh, She said that uh, where it says somewhere in the Bible that the high priest on the day of atonement wears a turban and inscribed on it is holy to Yahweh. Uh, It's dedicated, sacred, you wouldn't wear it every day, etc. But she says that there are other ancient records, I forget whether it's pseudepigraphical texts or what, but she said it seems to be, there seems to be preserved an alternate tradition where on the turban you simply had the word Yahweh which might imply that when the priest went into the temple, he became the living incarnation of Yahweh for that moment. Wow. Uh, I don't know, but it does make sense to me. And if it were, think of the, the Soma hymn. You, yeah. You're asking to be placed in the realm of the gods uh, where they are. And uh, just seems it, it makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah. Constellation Pegasus, thank you for the super chat. I appreciate you very much. It makes me wonder if early astronomy in prehistory gave birth to religion, making all of these stories of God and gods sound very familiar. That's the astrotheology theory, and that's I think there's some plausibility there. I think there's a lot to that. Mm. I think we can get carried away with like everything's about the sun. Like Jesus took a step to the left. That means the moon and the second quarter did this. It's like we get carried away with that stuff. Yeah. But that being said, Constellation Pegasus is very right. I think there is a lot to it. because And then here's the – it's actually common sense. Just think about it. The farther back you go, the less they know about the universe. So when they're looking up, think about it. You're an ancient person. You know nothing about planets. You don't know what a planet is. You don't know what a star is. You look up and you see this giant lights show. It's twinkling and – things flying past your face and there's a big giant one right there. That one has a certain color to it. That one looks like it's blue. That one's what the heck's that one doing? And they're all doing the same thing. They're all, that had to be, that had to be mind blowing for the ancients. They had to have written about that. And especially when you combine that with what we're talking about with the hallucinogenics. Now they're look. remember how I, remember what I told you in the beginning when I said, when I took the DMT, it looked like the sun was flying around the sky. Imagine being an ancient person, not knowing what the stars and the sun are, or, or the moon and the stars are, and you take the, the, the soma, and then you look up and you see a light show. Mm. That had to be world shattering. That would be like we need to figure out a way to write and put this down on paper right now. Like that to me, that makes sense. Think of uh, Enoch in the uh, Book of Enoch, First Enoch. He uh, goes 
up to heaven, presumably, it, I mean, it's based on visions anyway, this is the kind of thing people claim to have done, like Paul in the third heaven in Second Corinthians. Well, Enoch goes up there, and what is he shown? Uh, the layout of the universe. The stars are kept over here, and the raindrops there, the snowflakes there, the lightning bolts over there. Uh, th this goes back to the thing with the firmament and the flat earth. This only looks pathetically stupid if you're stuck saying, oh yeah, this is a revelation from God. No, no, Genesis 1 is not even mythology. It's ancient natural science. It's very much like the Ionian philosophers writing around the same time. F I mean, uh, Julius Valhausen pointed this out in the 19th century. Uh, it, it's serious speculative astronomy and so on. They just didn't have telescopes and stuff. Yeah. Nor does it say, God told me this. I mean, Enoch comes kind of close to that, but not Genesis. Right. Uh, and there it, you have a sober attempt, very much like the Ionians, to uh, say, you know, here's a sketch of what I think uh, happened and how we got diversity from an original primal element. It, once you get rid of this this notion that God dictated it, well, God must have known better. Just forget it. That's a reductio ad absurdum. It's only recognizing it as a human text that makes you see the genius of it. And it also makes the God look weak because it's like you made him create all this stuff and he did it all at a snap of a finger. And then it's like, well, where is this? Why is his will not being done anymore? Why is all the evil seems to be winning over the righteous and don't worry the day will come it's coming soon it's like he snapped his fingers in seven days and did all this where mm. you're making him look like either he's weak or doesn't care that's why i think like you said the other approach where it's like okay people wrote this doesn't mean it's not true but we have to be honest about people wrote this like period you know what i mean if you could get the priestly writer of Genesis 1 in a time machine and, and give him a tour of an astro—what's uh, uh, the word? Uh, a tour. Yeah, of, of uh, an observatory or whatever. Do you think he would deny what he was seeing? Obviously, he was a scientist. Right, he would rejoice and thank God that we know as much as we do. It's just sickening to to uh, see what uh, literalists do with this stuff. Yeah, Lev Palyakov, this is my buddy. If he, if you guys like political discussions, he has a channel called Break the Rules, where he has on. He'll talk about whatever subject is not as like Russia, Ukraine. He'll find somebody who's pro Russia and find someone who's pro-Ukraine and let them have a have a discussion. He had Derek on there with a Calvinist, and they had a good discussion. It was it got interrupted mm -hmm. a few times, but it was and all in all, it was pretty good. You know, there was some but yeah, Lev's a good guy. So check that out. And uh mm -hmm. they, he says keep expanding everyone's mind. You too, mm -hmm. Lev. The next one is Hell Awaits. <laughs> Twenty dollars. Mm -hmm. I thank you so much. Appreciate it. this is a good this you guys have been awesome today, by the way. Uh, this much better than UFOs and aliens slash Bigfoot. <laughs> <laughs> He's referring to the last conversation, but you know, we, we this is what we do. We talk about like we talk about stuff that 
out of the ordinary mythology, all types of stuff. And we, we, we just talk, it's just what this, what this channel and myth vision does. Like, this is what we do. You know what I mean? Mm. Some episodes, not for everybody. Some are, you know, uh, J.R. Pone with the $5 super chat was being made a pillar in the temple of my God, a Gnostic concept. Also did Buddhism influence Gnosticism? That's a good question. Well, Buddhism and Gnosticism are so similar, especially Mahayana Buddhism, that you almost in inevitably have to suspect there's some connection, but you can't be sure because it's like a, a great book on Gnosticism, The Tree of Gnosis by Yoan, uh, that is I-O-A-N. Um, oh, what's his last name? look it up uh oh boy he's a romanian uh he was he was killed by uh agents of the government really uh he uh, the, but the book is the, the tree Caliano. Caliano. Uh, yeah. yeah yeah uh he says you've got two possible models for things like this it could be dissemination, where the ideas spread and evolve and people borrow them without even knowing that's what they're doing. That happens. But you never really know because it could be what he calls structuralism, where uh, the human mind uh, is basically the same equipment uh, the world over and human life conditions are basically the same. So inevitably, the same agenda, the same menu of problems and possible solutions sooner or later will occur to somebody in every culture. Uh, and so that you have a range of options in each religion that mirror those of others, like salvation by grace through faith that evolved in Protestantism. You have an amazing parallel in Pure Land Buddhism, but it doesn't seem like they borrowed it because you can actually trace from the different writings in different periods how it evolved according to logic, solving one problem after another, which is what happened in uh, Protestantism too. And, and uh, the same thing with it could be the same thing with Gnosticism. Buddhism, Jainism, and some other ones that you once you start on certain problems, you're inevitably going to have the same menu of options. And uh, I'm going to take that approach in the book I'm sort of planning to get around to called Houses of the Holy, a comparative religion. Approach. It's a little different than usual. Uh, but uh, yeah, it, it could be. Uh, it, it's very much like Gnosticism. I mean, also like uh, non-dualist Vedanta Hinduism. And what is the great blessing you're pursuing there? Janana, which is the same as gnosis. Uh, uh, but even there, it might just be independently hit upon. Yeah, that is, I think that's really, I think that's got to be a cognate. Janana and Oh, yeah, the language certainly is. Oh, let me recommend another book that explores the relation between the spread of the Indo-European language and the spread of Indo-European mythology. It is a great book by a guy named uh, Jan, J-A-A-N, Puvel, uh, P-U-H-V-E-L, and I believe it's just called Comparative Mythology. Uh, but that is really uh, enlightening stuff, too.
I'll check it out for sure. Uh, let's see. We got Robert Robert Herring with the five dollars sticker. Thank you, Robert mm. Herring. I always it's a, I always love seeing your name. You know, you're always around, and I appreciate you. You know, uh, thank you for that. Doc Perlmanat is back. The Troika of Ahura Mazda formed from Aspam, Napat, and Mitra seems no different than the Tremurti or the three-in-one Asher Anuhora. Why do Christians think the Trinity is so special? Hey, it's a good one. Yeah, uh, however, like with uh, the Tremurti doctrine that uh, Brahma, Shiva, and Vishnu uh, are all three divine beings to be worshipped, that is really analogous to uh, very closely to Christian modalism that evolved in the second century as a way of sort of juggling the three big names. But the but yeah, the solution there is to say that that diversity is kind of illusory uh, because it, they are all simply manifestations of what lies beyond them and and all worldly existence, there is only Brahman without qualities. But uh, from our standpoint, because that light of truth is, is refracted by what they call the upadis, the, uh, the limiting conditions, it's like the, the pure white light of the sun being broken into the colors of the rainbow. And so the diversity is a result of that distortion. And that diversity includes us being different from the gods. That's an illusion too. And so uh, you, you're trying to meditate to get through the illusion and see things for what they are. Uh, Trinitarianism doesn't say that. Uh, it says that no, interior to the Godhead there is this threefoldness. We don't know how, obviously, who could plumb the depths of God, right? Uh, but it's not simply God uh, acts or appears in three ways. The other I don't know about, but I know it, it seems to me that in classical mythology and in uh, Mithraism and Zoroastrianism, you just have trios of gods who are associated like the three fates or the three norns, uh, they they don't really present the same problem of uh, one nature, three persons, which is such a problem, it really doesn't rank as a doctrine, in my opinion. Uh, you're just pointing in a certain direction and leaving it to the mystics to try to experience it. <laughs> that's a good point. Um, yeah, that's a good answer. And thank you once again, Dr. Perlman. It's always good to see you here. Lucy Fire. Deconstruct, JJ Dead, and Incredible Shrink Man more. Um, yeah, uh, the three books of mine, uh, Deconstructing Jesus, Jesus is Dead, and the Incredible Shrinking oh, Son of Man. Okay. okay, I got you now. Yeah, they were just um, uh, so the yeah, so basically they're asking, is there any more than that? You got a couple more? Oh yeah, uh, you might enjoy my uh, book. The Case Against the Case for Christ, a reputation of uh, Strobel's book, um, or uh, ooh, a Holy Fable, that, that series. I have four books covering the Bible and modern scriptures and so forth. And there's a lot of critical study of the Gospels in there. Uh, let me see. Another is uh, Night of the Living Savior, 
uh, where I'm trying to show that a whole lot of old time rationalism underlies apologetics and really distorts the whole debate. Uh, then there's um, Judaizing Jesus, That's a, good one. a more recent book where I show, I try to show how the tendency to make Jesus simply a second temple Jewish rabbi is really an ecumenical construct to, to make it easier to dialogue between Jews and Christians, and that there are at least four other major understandings of Jesus and what the evidence is for them. And uh, you could just look up my uh, name on Amazon, and they seem to have most of the books. I'm probably forgetting uh, a bunch of them. I have some on Paul and uh, so on. The next super chat I noticed is similar to this question that someone is, which isn't a super chat, but it's a good question. And um, so I'll read that first. Comment on the devas becoming bad guys in Zoroastrianism, and the asuras becoming the good guys. Why the switch? Who benefits from the changing of the story? And the other person was asking if the angels can be equivalent to the Asuras, which I'm not sure about, but but I think you could kind of put these together in that way. Well, the uh, uh, the devas, we you know when we say that somebody is uh, a uh, a diva, it's like they they think they're a princess or a goddess, uh, and uh, that they're they're haughty and picky and hard to get along with. Uh, well, yeah, uh, the the devis or divas and the uh, devas um, were uh, were the gods, and that that word becomes Deus in Latin. Uh, so that those are gods, and the in that in Vedic Hinduism. The Asuras were the Titan, the equivalent of the Titans, right. a subordinate race of divine beings who were often considered uh, evil as well. Uh, and so that you had the uh, uh, the high gods, uh, the Asuras, I'm sorry, the, the Devas uh, fighting the, the lower deities, right. uh, uh, the Devas and, and devil apparently comes from that. But I'm not really sure about that because the word well, devil has something to do with the Greek diabolos. It's almost the same in Spanish today. Um, well, di diabolos is a Greek word meaning the thrower, the caster, meaning right. the hurler of accusations, the caster of aspersions, the, the accuser of our brethren. So I'm not quite sure, but I have heard this explanation deriving devil from Deva. And uh, so that uh, would be what turnabout does come about in Zoroastrianism, that's for sure. Well, Anger Mano happens to be a deva, too. And what I think is interesting about this is like, okay, so the demons and angels, when you, and under monotheism, you could argue that, that the person asking that question, you can argue that, yeah, the Asuras and the de demons are sort of like lesser deities. They're not gods, but they're like, they're, you know, they're, they're, they're not human either. So you can argue that they, they've just been cast down a notch and they're not gods anymore, but it's still kind of, you're sort of mixing and matching a little bit. But the fact that Anger Manu is called the devil or the deva, I don't know if it's the devil, but, or no, it is the devil, actually. He is the devil. But anyways, he is actually a deva as well. And the in, in Zoroastrian, 
he flips uh they flip the sewers are the bad guys or no are the good guys and the devas are the bad guys now but it's also similar to how plato talks about the people from atlantis they worship the, the or their gods are the titans they're atlas and uh neptune and all those that's what those got so it's funny how you see the, the in mainland Greece, they're all like, oh, yeah, the Olympians are the gods and the Titans are the bad guys. But they talk about the faraway lands being like, oh, yeah, they got the Titans. The Titans got their back. But in the, in the East, you see a sort of similar pattern, whereas in India, they're like, yeah, OK, we got the Asuras are the gods and the, and the Devas are the gods and the Asuras are the bad guys. But in Persia, it's the opposite. So I just thought that's kind of fascinating. Because Ahura Mazda, that means Asura Mazda. Yeah. And he apparently is the same as the Vedic deity Varuna, who right. had been the king of the gods before Indra took over. And yeah. so we have a kind of a switcheroo. And uh, the fact that the Titans were still worshipped elsewhere, as you said, like Prometheus was one of the Titans. And uh, Iapetus uh, was worshipped in uh, North Africa and uh, as Japheth in the Bible. And so it's like what this probably reflects is the conquest of one group by another. And once the, 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 the invading group, whoever, whichever side wins and takes over, their gods become the chief gods and uh, the gods of the conquered people now are subordinates and enemies because of rivals being rivals to the triumphant gods yeah. you had a similar thing we think anyway with uh the greek goddesses hera aphrodite athena and so on these uh females must have been matriarchal gods originally but uh, when the uh, the uh, Aryans swept from like the plains of Russia or wherever they came from down through the Mediterranean and eastward, uh, they uh, imposed these male gods. And but of course, they're not the old gods are not just going to vanish, but they accommodated them by reducing them. Even Pandora, her name means all gifts. And uh, apparently this thing, well, uh, that means that everybody put her together. All the gods uh, contributed to her like she's uh, the Frankenstein monster. Uh, and uh, they created her to uh, trip up Prometheus, but he saw through it and so forth. Well, that's like with Eve in Genesis. Eve must originally have been Heba, the same thing, same name, really, who was the mother of all living. In other words, she was a goddess, but she's been reduced to Lucy Ricardo uh, yeah. because of the uh, chauvinistic, the male-centeredness of the, the conquering uh, people. So, I mean, often this stuff is, the gods are almost like political cartoon caricatures of the nations involved. Yeah. What's fascinating about what you just said, though, is that Mitra Varuna, there's a hyphen in between. The two gods sort of become one in the Vedas. There's like mm. a, a version where they sort of are both together. And what I, th what I think is interesting about this is, number one, in, is, there's a passage in the Mahabharata where Krishna prays. And the first thing I thought, 
who is the hell could Krishna be praying? Krishna prayed to Varuna. So that shows you how high Varuna is. And by the way, if you, if you, so uh, Ahura Mazda being sort of an equivalent to Varuna makes sense because Ahura Mazda is so high and mighty. He's above all the other gods. But just like Mitra and Varuna are combined in one in Zoroastrianism, who's always with Ahura Mazda? Who's the mediator? Mithra. Mm. So you he see was that. the guardian, uh, the guarantor of pacts and contracts. Right. Exactly as when uh, Jacob and Laban part and they say, Yahweh, watch over you and me while we're separated. They don't mean, you know, may God protect you. They mean, don't try anything funny because God knows our promise and he will take revenge if you break it. Uh, that that's the idea of the the god who's a guarantor, and that was Mithras's role as an right. assistant to Varuna. So he comes over with uh, his master Varuna uh, after. Uh, I mean, it ha must have something to do with the fact that Varuna was the king of the gods and was deposed. Right. Uh, and and that that has something to do with uh, Zoroaster trying to restore him to his original dignity. Right. But the Zoroastrian writings are such a fragmentary mess. Yeah. Uh, it's hard to know what was written when and by whom and so forth. And you can blame Alexander the Great for that because when he Ooh. went when he when he went through the East, he did not like Zoroastrians or the or that religion. He wanted to get rid of the Zoroastrians. If you just go read any Zoroastrian what they think about Alexander the Great, and they'll accuse him of ruining the religion, destroying all the writings destroying all the temples, all the fire temples, knocked them all out. Oh. He did not, for, for whatever reason, he didn't like that religion. He, mm. didn't care, he didn't care about the Hindus. He liked the Hindus. He, when, he, when he got to India, he called them the naked philosophers. And he was, he was hanging out with them, having a good old time, didn't do nothing bad to them. But for some reason, the Zoroastrians, he hated them. And they hated mm. him. Uh, so wow. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. Constellation Pegasus. I got the book on the genre and message of revelation book mr price recommended expensive to buy but it looks good get ready for read it soon that's that book will leave any reader in no doubt that uh, astrology or astrotheology or whatever you want to call it permeates the book of revelation and uh it uh, it's present here and there elsewhere but it's really the business of the book of revelation the whole thing is uh, colored by that as melina shows irreputably though he got very little credit on it uh dennis mcdonald pointed this out i, I don't really know the ins and outs of scholarly politics but uh, dennis said that uh, he knew he was friends with uh, melina and uh, that he told him that just as Dennis's work on the mimesis thing is generally ignored by scholars. Uh, uh, so is Molina's work on Revelation. I don't see how you can honestly discount either one of them, but I think I know what's at stake. People just don't want to have to shake up the thing, that, that the premise of their own work. And so they just kind of boycott these ideas, but eventually they'll let out. Yeah. Medallia, it's always good to see Medallia. Four ninety nine. Thank you. Appreciate that very much. Hello, I'm upset. I missed the hangout. Do you think there is a coalition with Ophiuchus, thirteen zodiac, being taken out of now the zodiac as the as Genesis serpent? 
that's a really good question because people don't talk about Ophiakis or Ophiakis, however you want to pronounce it, but that was the 13th constellation. That was the 13th constellation that they they did remove. That is a, that is a fact. Wasn't there a fourth, uh, Stevens, the whale also, uh, I could be confusing this with somebody saying there should be that yeah. based on modern knowledge of astronomy, we ought to really have these 14. But I don't know, because this, no, no, this right. was one right. of them, I think, they they said ought to be in there. Maybe it is a question of restoring a lost one. I don't know. Interesting. Well, the reason why that this they don't talk about Hydra being part of the 12, why don't, why, why, there's, there's 88 of them. Why, why Ophiakis? Well, Ophiakis, is on the line it's like the the axis line of the um what, what do you call it there's a uh, procession line where all the 12 are on this line but but ophiakis yeah. is barely on the line but he's so small that they're just like and plus that number 12 is sacred it has to be 12 mm. so they take away ophiakis orion is on the opposite side of ophiakis he's almost on the line too so on you'll never see ophiakis and orion on the same night sky because they're on mm. the opposite sides so sometimes people talk about Orion as being like a 13th one, but no. Hmm. But yeah, but it's a good question. But with the serpent in Genesis, what do you think about that? Because Ophiuchus is holding a rod with the serpent on it. Hmm. Do you think anything's going on with that? Uh, and Hercules, as an infant, strangles two snakes that were sent to kill him in the crib. Um, yeah, I don't know what to make of it. I, if, to me, the Genesis thing is pretty clear that the the, the uh, serpent is supposed to be Nehushtan or Leviathan, and it reflects Yahweh's expulsion of, of that rival god from the temple. Um, and and it, and the story must have been written by a, a worshiper of this now forbidden deity, since the since the snake is the champion of human beings, and Yahweh, as one of the Gnostic writers said, is a malicious grudger. He doesn't want them to have his food or God forbid the knowledge of procreation. Yeah. And I actually had a theory. I talked about this in one of my old videos that I think that Ophiuchus has something to do with Moses with holding up the serpent. And by the way, Ophiuchus is the equivalent to Asclepius. In fact, that is Asclepius. They changed, they just changed the name. Huh. Uh, that is the same. It's the same constellation in the sky. I'm not, I'm not making that up. That's Ophiuchus is, is Asclepius. And Asclepius, what does he do with the serpent? He's a healer with it. So if Moses raises up the serpent to heal all the people in the desert, I don't know. Maybe that's a connection. Could not, might not be, but I thought that's, I think it's pretty interesting that they. Yeah, there's got to be some connection there. Yeah, the serpent becomes the symbol for health. Even today, go to any hospital, you'll see the big serpent staff thing. So that's like, there's got to be something going on with that. Yeah. Thank you for the super chat. Next one. Constellation Pegasus. I think we're getting towards the end. Uh, last one. Did Mr. Price ever consider the Jehovah's Witness when he was when his faith was being challenged at the beginning? Well, I always uh, thought the uh, witnesses were playing fast and loose with the Bible. I'm not so sure of that anymore. For a number of years, I've thought that often they are right where uh, others are being blinded by their traditionalist theology. Like in the beginning, the word was with God and the word was what? A God? It, it is a tricky thing. And uh, I, the other day I recommended a book by uh, Jason Bedune, which is capital B. 
E capital D U H N called Truth in Translation, where he compares on several different uh, contested Bible passages what about 10 different translations have and why. And he, he shows uh, just amazingly how the witnesses Bible is most often probably closer to the original intent. So I think highly of the witnesses in some ways, and boy, have they got a lot of guts. Uh, I admire them. Uh, but on the other hand, their organization seems to be fascistic and narrow-minded. So uh, I have, those are two independent things. They don't need to go together. So there are things about the witnesses I, I uh, greatly respect, but I sure wouldn't want to join them. And uh, but but I, I never took it seriously because I thought they were just slanting the, the Bible. Don't think that so much, but it's too late now for me. For them. Yeah. And vaguely agnostic comes with the six, 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 like always. <laughs> thanks for the great content. And thanks. <laughs> for the great super chat. I think there's one more just popped in. I, was, I thought that mm -hmm. was the last one, but I think one more just. Yep. Mm -hmm. And of course, who is it? But. Doc Pleroma not. Do you see any unexplicit links of El Eden to the Ugaritic text with El Ashura living in a vineyard near Mount Ararat in Horon as the first sinner? Interesting question. Very interesting question. Uh, well, basically, yeah, there, there are uh, links with the Gilgamesh epic, too. And uh, the idea that there was a garden of the gods, this is explicit where Genesis is implicit but obvious uh, that uh, God makes the man and then as an afterthought the woman to, to take care of his garden uh, and the, uh, the food there. Uh, the, uh, it's obvious that the tree of knowledge is forbidden to the humans, but the gods must eat the fruit and they certainly must eat of the fruit of the tree of life, which is what keeps them alive. Again, you're not talking about Thomas Aquinas or Karl Barth here. Uh, the, the, their conception of gods was primitive by our standards. And uh, so they got, the gods had to eat like they had to have sacrifices. And, or well, that thing in the, in the Rig Veda, he, the god is made strong through food. Do you yeah, know you had to give him offerings because he subsisted on that. Did you know that in Norse mythology, the gods have to eat apples? And there's, there's like this one god, it's a, it's a goddess actually, and her job in, what is that? Was it Midgard? I forgot. Is that the name of the heaven? I can't remember the name of the heaven. It's like uh, Asgard Mid was the heaven Asgard, and we're in Midgard. Yeah, yeah okay. So in, in, in Asgard, I can't remember the, the goddess's name, but her job is to go around and give out the, the sacred apples to all the gods. It keeps them young and it keeps them living forever. And Loki one day, you know, scheming Loki comes around and he steals the apples and he leaves. And so the gods start to age. Their, their, their hair starts to turn white and they're getting older and they have to find Loki. And that's when Loki, because Loki was living with them for a while and they liked Loki, even though he was a, he was a little mother effer. But they still, they, you know, it's Loki. It's our cousin. But after that, that was like a turning. Loki, they, he became like, they, we got to kill Loki. We got to find Loki now. So that's like that was that's an interesting myth right there. I gotta have on Kraken Ford to talk about that one. Kraken Ford does a channel about that stuff. Was the goddess with the apples? Was that Idunna? I wonder if it is. Let me look it up because now now yeah. I have goddess with the apples. Norse mythology. That should that should give us the that's the you know what I mean. 
Now I want to know. I don't know. Yeah, it is I don't know. Yeah. Oh, okay. How'd you know? You know everything. I, I remember hearing of the golden apples of Idunna. Yes. I don't even know what it refers to, but now I, I do. I-D-U-N-N. That is her name. Uh -huh. Put it in the chat for people so they can look it up. Of course, it would fit. If, if she were a Greek, she could be Apollonia. Wow. Sorry. <laughs> but um, yeah, that is the last super chat, and I appreciate everybody. This has been a great one. You know. I like my, I just like my audience. I don't care if I, if I, if every episode was under hundred people or 50 people and it's just the same people I, that I really enjoy talking mm. to, they give good questions. They steer the conversation. Yep. I don't, they, I mean, you guys are the show. You guys are the show. I really, I really want, want to make that clear. Mm. I love everybody here. So, um, but yeah, anything else you want to say before we close out? Um, well, myths have great meaning. Uh, sometimes it's not clear what it is, but even if they don't, uh, it's part of the great lore of civilization. And, and once you become familiar with them, then you're in a better position to see what real meaning they may have. But in the meantime, they're just loads of fun. Yeah. And, um, before we before we uh, close out, I just have to get this outro ready. <laughs> That's all I'm doing. Just takes a couple seconds. But yeah, I agree. The, the, I think we, we should never try to erase mythology or religion or mm. scripture. I think we it's a tool that we should look at, especially mm. when you look at history. I think it's important that we preserve it, study it, mm. try try to take away the bad, critique the bad about it, and mm. and then uh, look at the, what what we like about it, like the good stuff. Mm. And um, this intro is taking forever to get ready. I don't know why, but um, but yeah, there's just uh, let's see if anyone has any good comments. They want to great show, guys. Oh, super sticker, Ibex, super so back, Lord of the Four Corners. Thank you for mm. that. Appreciate you. You are mm. awesome. And uh, let's see. Oh, there we go. Now we got the outro. All right, guys. Uh, you have all just attained true gnosis. You have just attained true gnosis. The Demiurge has no power over you.